hello, good morning. So I think this is the one of the first times I remember having to go down between services to get a, a little bit hydrated. Uh, feeling the heat, so that's good. If, if, we, if I should move just over there, it's quite cool right there, but I don't think it reaches you over where, where you are uh, by this time in the day. But we're not, we're not uh, unused to changes in temperature and different things, and, and I'm certainly not complaining uh, how boring life would be if it was the same temperature every day. Uh, and, uh, and so it is um, that we adapt and move along and open our Bibles to First Timothy today. Now, as you probably know, I've been going along chronologically through the uh, order in which the New Testament books were written rather than the order in which they show up in your Bibles. And uh, as as we move from from last Sunday to this Sunday, uh, we actually have a significant change in condition. If you're following along or if you've watched the, uh, the greatest story ever on our website that I put there so you can get the chronological a story of the New Testament and where the different books fit in there, you'll already know. But uh, since uh, since uh, Philippians until First Timothy, there's there's actually a substantial amount of time in between, and uh, we we understand uh, from church history that when Paul was released from house arrest from prison in Rome, uh, he later on return is arrested again under different circumstances. But but we believe, or at least church history tells us, that he traveled from Rome probably all the way to Spain, uh, spreading the gospel around uh, further regions of the Mediterranean. Uh, There's not a solid historical reference to that fact, so it's unclear whether it really happened or not, but it is something that church tradition has that that happened. And then then Paul returns uh, back to Ephesus and then to visit the different churches in the regions we know well from the book of Acts. And uh, when he comes to Ephesus, uh, probably... um, up to a year or two after Philippians was written, uh, he, he finds that the church in Ephesus has been encountering some new teachings, some new doctrines, uh, some things that he needs to confront, some people that he needs to confront, and it's, it's, uh, it's not the easiest time, but he does that, and then he travels on, he says uh, in, in Timothy, in fact, to Macedonia, probably to Philippi, where some of his best friends reside, and uh, he leaves Timothy behind in Ephesus to finish the job of putting the f- church back on a firm foundation. And then from Macedonia, he writes to Timothy a personal letter directed to one person, not to a church, and, uh, and gives him these instructions. Now, as I, as I was reading 1 Timothy and, and trying to get the, the big picture of the book, the, the image or illustration that kept coming to my mind that I'll share with you is the idea of a red flag. Now, we have that in our language. We have that in our, in our colloquial idiom kind of sayings. We say sometimes uh, someone maybe was dating someone and they break up and you say, well, what happened? Well, I started to see some red flags. And uh, usually what that means uh, uh, is that, that there was some, some indications that maybe this wasn't going to go well. Maybe not solid facts, uh, but, but just some indications, some red flags. And of course that comes from sports, and different types of sports have different colors of flags, but many sports have that, that idea. The referee can throw a flag, and that doesn't mean they blow the whistle and stop the play. It's not that serious a thing, but it means we're going to review what happened. 
There's something that happened in the play that, that needs to be looked at. Maybe there will be a penalty. Maybe there won't be. Maybe we'll go to the slow motion and see what happened. But the red flag means something happened. We're not sure what it is. When the play stops, we're going to move on. And that's what I think of when I think about Paul's instructions to Timothy here in 1 Timothy. He's giving uh, some ideas here about, about uh, that. Well, that'll come up as we go along here. And I think you'll maybe even understand when, when to throw a red flag in, in the church yourself. And so, uh, so let's think that through. Now, now think about this scenario for, for just a minute. Um, there's a church and the, the pastor and the, the leaders, maybe the elders or the board... Uh, start to to get some complaints or or some some uh, some tension being felt, some some conversations among church members that's uneasy, that's not loving, uh, some discord around, uh, maybe not open physical fighting like I put on the picture, but I got to try to grab your attention somehow before you fall asleep in this heat. Um, and, and they're thinking, okay, well, what's going on? Why is there this complaining? Why do we feel tension around the church? We need to take a look into that. And that would be like throwing a red flag, right? I mean, it might be nothing. It might be just uh, a bunch of circumstances that happen to happen in such a way that people have misunderstood each other and there's something going on and we can just talk it through and it'll be behind us. But maybe there's something more serious underneath that. And so um, in this scenario, I'm just imagining that, that what they discover is that the distribution of the church's ministry to the people is being complained about it because it's not equal. It's not fair. Well, why isn't it fair? And so they look a little bit deeper and they find out that some people in the church feel that because of their race, they deserve better treatment than other people. Now, that's not a hard thing for us to imagine. Uh, We hear a lot of talk about race in our culture right now particularly south of the border, but it's everywhere. And, uh, and so we know also from, from, not, from scriptures that this is not appropriate in the church. Now, if you're, if you're just thinking about that for a second, you know that I'm not just making that up. That was the situation in Acts chapter 6. Uh, the, people were, the church was distributing food to those in need, mostly widows, and uh, the Jewish widows thought that they were more important than the Gentile widows, and so they were going to the first of the line and getting all the good stuff, and sometimes there wasn't any left for the Gentile widows. So they they truly thought. They had bad theology. They thought that because of the Old Testament and the fact that the Jews were the chosen people, they should get preferential treatment. And so there was discord in the church. Now, in Acts 6, we don't know the theological underpinnings of the decisions, but we know in every one of the letters in the, God, in the New Testament, Paul and Peter and the others emphasize the fact that under Christ there is no Jew or Gentile. That's bad theology. So the church in Acts had tension and discord and fighting because of the fruit of bad theology. They believed things that were not true, and it ended up in unequal treatment that caused fighting and division in the church. Now, I think that I can say that with confidence because when we look at the solution that the apostles came up with, they chose only Gentiles to lead the ministry of the distribution of food. And so I think that was done deliberately to send a strong message to the Jewish Christians 
We're not even going to put a single Jew on the board that handles the distribution of food. You're not special. We're all equal under Christ. Now, that's not told to us in Acts, but it is certainly told to us in some of the other letters in the New Testament. So I think I can say that confidently. Now, this isn't a sermon on Acts, so, so we've got to back off from that story for a bit. But I think it gives us context to understand the, the, the background from where this conversation uh, between Paul and Timothy in these letters is happening. So I'll admit that um, as I've been going through the books of the Bible, uh, I'm probably, you know, just to be honest, I'm probably getting more out of these New Testament um, letters than the Old Testament. Not that I didn't get a lot out of the Old Testament, but I think I know why. In the Old Testament, if we're just telling the truth, some of the books are really long and kind of boring. And so over the years, it's been my practice to do what I'm doing with the sermon series. Kind of skim the book and then just try to get the big picture of what's the overall message. But in the New Testament, I've been much more likely over all the years to, to get into the details. To immediately, as soon as I start reading the book or studying it or preparing a sermon, to get into the details. Look at the individual verses. Look at the individual phrases. Spend two hours in a word study on, on an individual word to see what it really means. And, I, and I've, less, I've been less likely in the New Testament to pull back from those details and just look at the whole picture of what's being said in this book. What's, what is Paul, just not in terms of the details of the, of the words, but, but in the whole letter, what is he trying to get across to Timothy as Timothy tries to lead this church that's in a bit of tension? And so that's been, a, been, been really good for me. I hope it's been good for you as I'm trying to share what I'm learning along the way. But when we do that with Timothy, we, we very quickly can see that there's a bit of a structure to the whole book that, that will guide us somewhat. And so um, Timothy has some of the most controversial statements of any books in the Bible. Things that Christians fight over. Things that cause tension. Things that cause division in the church. And so, um, so that's an issue when we fight over God's word. But I don't think if we pull back from those details of the individual details and look at the overall message that's being said here, I think it can help us to actually understand how to stop fighting instead of get us into fights because we interpret specific phrases differently. So I want to try to do that with you this morning. Now Paul writes to Timothy, a person he's mentoring in ministry, and he begins with a personal address, a commission to Timothy as an individual. In the first chapter. And then he puts all the details about what's going on in the church in Ephesus to help Timothy work through the issues one after another. There's a lot of them there. And then he closes the letter with another detailed, um, specific commission to Timothy. So I think we get the overall message in those commissions, and then we apply what we learn there to the stuff in the middle. And, and that's, I think, something I've never done in Timothy before. So I find that really helpful. So I want to read those commissions in their entirety and then pick out what I think is key sentences in those commissions that will help us understand what's being taught here, what God wants us to know. Oh, I, I, I missed one thing. This is just kind of for fun. But, but we fight over Paul's writings, don't we? Especially some of this stuff about women in the church and qualifications for elders and 
and food and drink and whether we can drink alcohol or not, that's all here in Timothy. We fight over that stuff. But just listen to this. This might give you courage. It gives me courage. Second Peter. Uh, Peter writes this. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. So just think about that for a minute. First, first thing that's kind of cool about that is we can see here in Peter's writing that at the time when Peter and Paul were still alive, Paul's letters were already beginning to be recognized as God's word. They were already being recommended by other apostles to the churches to read as, as edifying. So that's, that kind of gives us an insight into how that happened. Completely irrelevant to my sermon this morning, but interesting. But of course, Peter's the guy who walked on water. Peter's the guy who collected 12 baskets of leftovers from five fish. Peter's the guy that denied Christ and then was recommissioned by Jesus himself. Peter's the guy that saw Jesus ascend into heaven to his throne. And he says, I don't even understand everything Paul writes all the time. This is, some of the things Paul writes are kind of hard to understand. So I, I think that gives me some comfort. If Peter had difficulty with some of Paul's writing, maybe it's okay if we don't always agree on what he meant as well. Maybe we can give each other that kind of, that kind of slack in our rope with each other to, uh, to, to be a little different in how we, we read things. Um, that was already happening when Peter read Paul's letters. So um, let's look at the first commission, the first chapter of Timothy, and read that together. I'm going to read the whole thing, and like I said then, focus down on the one sentence that I think reveals the, the, the general message here. <clears throat> As I urged you, Timothy, when I, was, when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain persons not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, those who kill their fathers and mothers for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers. And it is is for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. 
The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now there's a, there's a lot in there, but I think the sentence that, that clarifies what Paul's getting across to Timothy overall is this one right here. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. What are such things? False doctrines, just above, that devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. And he's telling Timothy, because he can't give Timothy advice on every specific issue that's going to come up in the church. So he gives a lot of advice on specific issues in the middle of of this letter. But at the beginning here, he's giving him kind of an overall statement. How do you determine whether a teaching is right or wrong? Whether a doctrine is false or not? Well, he's telling him, false doctrines land you up in controversy. False doctrines have bad fruit. False doctrines bring the church to a place where we're fighting with each other. So he says that should raise a red flag. If something like that's happening, look at what people believe, what they're teaching. And and at least you should take a look. So we're going to expand on that in a minute, but let's look at the second commission at the end of the chapter where Paul again addresses Timothy specifically. Chapter 6, verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this. Now, we know, if you, if you remember the chart I put up with all the controversial things in the middle, that's all of this. Okay, All this stuff that's causing people to fight in the church, you, Timothy, don't get involved in that. Flee from that stuff. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. In other words, don't fight over those things. They're not as important as, as what I just listed, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called with when, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and glory and might forever. I added a word there. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. <clears throat> so I think in this case, it's kind of that last part that summarizes what, God, what Paul's trying to get across to Timothy. 
Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. And as you, as you look through Timothy and remember what we just saw in the first uh, the sentence from the first uh, commission, how do you know if some people have departed from the faith? Well, by the fruit, by the fruit in their lives, you can tell. And so don't get involved in all that chatter and opposing ideas, trying to win the argument, all of that stuff. Um, that leads you away from knowledge of Jesus Christ and leads you into something else. So with this kind of summary of the two commissions to Timothy, I think I can say with confidence this. In 1 Timothy, God says, the truth can be known by its fruit. The truth can be known by its fruit. Every one of us believes certain things. And as we base our life decisions and values on those things we believe to be true, it produces fruit in our life. And we know that from trees in our gardens, if any of us are old enough to have done this. You plant a tree, an apple tree, or some other kind of fruit. And you till it, and it grows. And you think it's a good tree, but you're not sure yet. Because it has to mature, flower for a couple of years, and then you get the right fruit, and you pick it, and you eat it, and you find out if it's good fruit or not. And that's the only way that you can find out. And so when we look at the church, um, we, we, we are trying to live our lives, to base our lives and our decision, our values and, and our priorities and all of that, our relationships, on the truth of God's word. But when it produces discord, when it produces fighting, when it produces tension in the church, we know that those things are not listed in the fruit of the Spirit. It's bad fruit. So we should throw up a red flag when we start fighting in the church. Maybe it's not outright fighting. Maybe it's just tension and not feeling comfortable to talk around one another. We should throw up the red flag. We don't stop everything we do. We're, we don't throw out the board and elect a new one mid-year. We, you know, it's, not, it's not blow the whistle and stop everything. But put up a red flag and say, we need to review what's happening here. Maybe it's fine. Maybe some things happened just by chance and people had misunderstandings and there's a bit of tension because that hasn't been resolved yet. And we can resolve it. That's fine. Maybe it's no big deal. Maybe we go into the slow motion camera. No, the foot wasn't over the line. That's, that's okay. Then we can have confidence if we've reviewed it. But maybe there's people in our church that are teaching things that are not true. And when those teachings come to their maturity, they're producing bad fruit. And we need to correct those teachings. We need to correct those biblical interpretations. Because we can know from the fruit whether it's true gospel or not. The truth can be known by the fruit it produces. Now I, uh, I wrote a little um, conclusion here. And I didn't know if I'd have time because I was actually finishing this up uh, Saturday night. Uh, didn't want to work in here in the heat of the day, so came Saturday night. 
I see I have some time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna look into Timothy and see if we can apply this to the actual situation in Timothy. I don't have notes for this, but I already did this in the early service, so I think it'll work out. Let's read the controversial bit that causes so many of us, I don't mean you specifically, but just in the church over the years, a disagreement. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. Okay, that's not controversial. Then he goes on, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. Think we could have a fight? I've been in those fights, uh, I, I will admit. Yeah, it's hard stuff. We don't, we don't want to hear that, particularly in our culture. And, and, and um, what I'm trying to say here this morning, what I, I really believe Paul is trying to get across to Timothy as well, is if these things are causing fighting, you've got them wrong. There's something wrong. You're, you're going on. He's, he uses words like endless genealogies and, and, and stuff like that. And, and so how do we understand this? Well, I didn't read the whole thing there. Uh, I'll give that to you to read uh, later on. But let's just notice that the very next thing he gets into over this thing about women in worship is overseers and deacons. And just pay attention to what he says there because I don't think it's by accident that he brings that up next. Um, he, he writes, and again, it's the whole chapter. I'm not going to read it. Either you're familiar with it or you're going to read it afterwards. Um, but but he, he goes on about the qualifications for overseers and deacons in the church. And one thing that I noticed that is absolutely absent from the list is all of the things that we put on our resumes. It doesn't give a single job experience reference. It doesn't give a single education or training reference. It doesn't give a single credential or letters after the name or, or level of financial success or, or, or courses taken or boards served on. It doesn't mention a single one of those things. What does it mention? Character. What is, how do we understand that? It tells us the person you choose to go to to help you walk with Jesus is the one who has evidence in their life of good fruit. Good fruit. The character, the relationships that they have with their family is evidence that they're living their life on the truth of the gospel. You look at the fruit to find out if this person can teach. You don't have to know theology. You don't have to have a big theology degree. You look at the fruit it's producing. Is it the fruit of the gospel? Now, how does that relate back to the women thing? And, and we're, we're in a different context. It's, that's why we fight about these. These are, well, let's not use the word fight. We don't, we don't usually split up over this. But, but we do have disagreements. Um, 
Why, how do we translate that into our day, into our time, into our culture? That's the difficulty. I mean, I'm, I expect people that Paul was writing to Timothy, Timothy knew. But then Timothy had been traveling with Paul for years. Paul could just write a few sentences and, Paul and Timothy could remember all the conversations they had about that and kind of fill it in. So that's tough for us. But let's just take this into our day in an issue that we deal with. Let me ask you this question. It might seem out of left field. It's connected here. How many of you would be surprised if it came out on the news this week that another prominent name recognition Christian leader had fallen? Would anyone be surprised? I see heads shaking. No, I wouldn't be surprised. The latest one I'm aware of was one I never would have suspected, Ravi Zachariah. But we could all list the names, going back into the 80s of TV evangelists, of, uh, of prominent teachers, of, of band leaders, of worship, worship music leaders who've lost their faith, of, of prominent mega church pastors who we've gone to conferences specifically to hear because we read five of their books. They've all fallen in disgrace. So maybe if there's bad fruit, we should take a look at what kind of truth we're standing on. Maybe the words celebrity and pastor don't go together. It seems at first, because we live in such a celebrity-conscious culture, that of course the one who's published all the books and spoken at all the conferences is the one we want to go to for advice on following Jesus. But what does God's word say? The first will be the one that picks the last seat at the table. The one who is your Savior and Lord is the one that even when he was falsely accused by everyone in the culture around him was silent like a lamb to the slaughter. The word of God that says, uh, some of you are trying to follow Peter and some Apollos and some Paul and some uh, Ravi Zachariah and some Piper and some... Stop all that. None of those things matter. Follow Jesus Christ as your head. Don't put these people on a false pedestal. Don't put celebrity and church leader together. They don't go together. And if you base your teaching and your life and your church organization on something that's not true according to God's word, should we be surprised if there's bad fruit? What does Paul say here in Timothy? When, if, you, if you look at that description of elders and deacons or overseers, just think about a person that meets that description. That's the person who spends all his time at home with his wife and his family and they love him. That's not the person that's trying to be in front of everybody and spending every spare minute writing books to get published instead of playing with his kids. That's not the one that's described here in Timothy. Who do you go to to ask, can you help me follow Jesus better? The one who has good fruit in their life. The one who has depth of character. The one who's putting chairs away in the church after everyone's left because no one else bothered to do it. The one who's literally vacuuming up the floor 
because other people who wanted the spotlight left a mess behind. The one who, when people have been slandered in the church, doesn't stand up and fight to try to win the fight and get the high position, but is quietly behind the scenes without your notice going and healing the people who've been hurt. Those are the ones that you go to to say, can you help me know Jesus? And then you look here in Timothy and read the full description. I didn't read the full thing about the worship services in chapter 2, but if you read the whole thing, it comes quite clear, I think, that what you have here is a situation, which we don't know all the cultural significance of, but where certain women were trying to get the spotlight by the way they dressed, by the way they talked, by the way they acted, by the way they treated their husbands, by the way they jumped in front of the line for the food for the widows, even though they were rich themselves, and then the poor ones didn't get food. They were seeking the spotlight. They were trying to be the center of attention. And what does Paul say? Tell those ladies to sit down and be quiet. Tell those ladies to stop seeking the top seat on the table and go to the back seat. Be a little bit more like Jesus because your activities are causing dissension and discord in the church. And so Paul throws up the red flag and says, what do those women believe that's causing them to do things that are contrary to the gospel, to create results in the church that are not the fruit of the Spirit? Am I off base? I told you, I didn't have notes. I didn't know if I'd have time to get into this. Shooting from the hip here. I'm not trying to solve the issues here in Timothy. I'm just trying to say, and I hope this gives you courage, because it should. You know, this test that Paul's giving to Timothy, because he can't speak about every situation, even the kids who are downstairs can do this. They can walk into a room and sense if there's tension. That kind of tension is not fruit of the Spirit. So throw up the flag. You don't need a Bible college degree. You don't need letters behind your name. Sometimes it's the new Christians who come into the church expecting unity and find disunity that can be the best at refereeing us. Because they know we've gotten so used to it that it doesn't bother us anymore. But those new Christians, they know. They know it's not right. That's not what they signed up for. They signed up for love and forgiveness and grace and faith. Because that's what they received from God. That's what they expect from Christians. It's what we should expect from one another. So yeah, we're not going to solve all of the things. But how we deal with them is so important. Again, I I intentionally use the red flag. We can have tension without and continue good ministry. We can have disagreements and continue good ministry. But if we're getting into that place where it's uncomfortable to be in the room with one another, we should throw up the red flag and say, let's go take a review. Let's go look at the slow motion." Let's go back to God's word and see if maybe our understanding of what we're doing is incorrect. Let's get back to the truth. Let's see if we're interpreting it correctly because we can be 100% sure 
that if the fruit we're getting is not good fruit, it comes from a bad root. So let us seek the truth together. It's not easy. Paul's writing to Timothy in a tough spot to encourage him, to give him some, some, uh, some tools on how to identify what's right and what's wrong. And I think this is the message he's giving Timothy overall. He gets into the details, into the trees in the middle, and there's value in studying that. But we study those details in the context of the overall message, which is, you know what's true and what's not, even if you don't know for sure, by the fruit. If the, if the fruit of the person's life is the fruit of the Spirit, you can trust that person. You can trust that they've got their life based on the true gospel. But if the fruit doesn't taste like gospel fruit, there's probably something wrong in their thinking, in their theology, and what they believe to be true on how they're interpreting certain parts of God's word. doesn't mean you kick them off the team. It means you get into the word together and discover what truth is. I'm going to ask Lori to pray for us. We all need prayer in this area and so many others, and we will dismiss our time uh, and get on to the lake or wherever we're going to cool off this afternoon. The truth be known by its fruit. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that uh, for all that have come this morning and for all that are listening online, that, um, Lord, there's nothing hidden to you. We can put on all kinds of masks and facades, but you are looking deeply into the heart of each person here. And you want to pull out the bad roots, cut off the bad branches, so that each one of us could actually bear the fruit that, is, that only comes not in trying, not in working harder, but in staying connected daily, minute by minute, listening to your voice when you convict needing to make things right. God, I just pray that you would prune off those branches, take out the bad roots, and let us bear the fruit as a church and as people that truly, truly are people that people would want to go to and say, I want to know the Jesus you follow. Let us ask ourselves that as we go into the week. Do people see the fruit? of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Not for perfection, because we could go through and make it a list, and none of us are going to measure up. <laughs> but we know that with your help, as we day by day, listen, abide, and stay connected, and let your Holy Spirit bear it, bear the fruit, we will become the people you want us to be. So we commit this week to you. We just pray your presence be so real to us as we walk into the week. In Jesus' name, amen.